I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Happy Pride Month once again, and welcome back to the Leaving Eden Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hot-Cohen. I'm here with my BFF and co-host, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Happy Pride Month. And also, if you're listening to this on release day, happy Juneteenth. Yes, happy Juneteenth. You know, I actually uh, uh, went to Pride for the first time this year, and what? I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, I Good went job. to Pride. Um, there's a neighborhood in uh, Center City in Philadelphia called the Gayborhood, um, which is where like a lot of the uh, historically uh, gay bars and, and, and gay culture is in the city of Philadelphia. And um, it's just really a couple blocks from where I live. So I went down there and I have a friend who is a bartender at, at, at a gay sports bar there. And so I went there and sang karaoke. It was a lot of fun. What did you sing? I sang Beyonce. Of course, I very, say very appropriate choice. Yeah. Yes. Um, I love celebrating pride um, and I love celebrating pride with you, all the wonderful people from the Leaving Eden podcast. And and, and thank you guys so much. Um, I, we haven't say, did you want to talk about what we're talking about today? Yes. So today's interview is with Megan Crozier. You may know her from the Thereafter podcast, Thereafter pod. Um, we are talking about the experience of realizing your queerness a little bit later in life, like in a person's 30s or 40s, as opposed to when a lot of people do when they're teenagers or 20s, or even younger than that. We also talk about heteronormativity and evangelical culture. I think we had a really great conversation, and I'm excited to share it with our listeners. It is really exciting. It was fantastic. to. I did more listening than talking on that one because... It's not really my experience. Um, we're really excited to share this conversation with you. You but learned we, stuff, Gabby. I learned a lot of stuff, um, and you'll get to hear exactly what I learned, and hopefully you'll learn something too. 
before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, there's a few things that you can do to support us. You can join our Patreon, where there's an extended and uncensored version of most of our episodes. Also ad-free, you can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. If you've seen the Duggars documentary, Shiny Happy People, or if you're interested in the Duggars, we just uh, um about a week and a half ago we came out with a a special review of that episode and we had some of the actual contributors from that episode uh you know chad harris and lindsey williams they were both on the documentary chad harris you may know him as arch radish uh lindsey williams you know her um on tiktok and instagram as as cult chronicles is it one of them is the cult chronicles the other one is cult chronicles uh well i know that tiktok is cult chronicles okay then instagram is the cult chronicles and you know chad harris as arch radish um he's very big on tiktok both of these people featured very prominently in the iblp documentary uh and, and the duggars documentary shiny happy people and both of them came on together on our show uh and and you can listen to that episode that's on our feed make sure that you go and check that out if you haven't checked it out yet yeah i just i'm gonna thank our patrons sadie's gonna give us the tw and i'm going to read a pride story from a listener and then we're going to get into our episode so uh faith promise missions and i gave it all to your patrons thank you guys so much or i gave it all to your patrons your names are kathleen moncrief melissa mosley fantastic wonderful we do appreciate you so much our faith promise missions to your patrons are alex p alicia guild ali allen anisha patel ashley doxtator brooke tolly chrissa crystal patterson dear ethan hansen the musical dora j Eleanor Donahue, Enchanted Fairy, Esther M, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Here's a Shane, Janine Collin, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kater Wee, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marsha Millard. Marsha Millard is new. That's not a name welcome. I've seen before. Yeah, welcome, Marsha. Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Scooby Sleuth, Stephanie Johnson, Susie, Tara McNamara, Tiffany Enderby, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much for being uh, Faith Promise Missions to your patrons, and I gave it all to your patrons. And thank you so much to everyone who supports us over on Patreon. Yes, a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, as well as our listeners who aren't able to financially support on Patreon right now, but support us in other ways, like sharing our podcast with friends and family, talking about us on social media, and all the other ways that you send new listeners our way. Yes, thank you guys so much. Um, Sadie, just give us the TW and then um, I'm going to read a pride story and then we'll get right to this interview. All right. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, 
child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we'll mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid graphic detail unless it's relevant to the story that we're telling on that day. And we give you a heads up before we go into any of that kind of detail for any reason. This episode in particular does talk about uh, heteronormativity and compet and sexuality and bisexuality, but this is a light on the triggers and maybe a little deeper on the theory. We, of course, talk about queer people being invalidated in church and affirming theology and even moving past affirming theology into being an affirming person. But I don't think this episode is is too heavy on any triggers beyond that. I like to have less triggering episodes, especially since we started off the month with Westboro Baptist. Trying to hit a good balance. <laughs> yeah, trying to hit a good balance. And of course, next week we have the Leaving Eden Drag Brunch to close out Pride Month, which is one of my favorite traditions. But another of my favorite traditions is when we get to read Pride stories from the listeners. So uh, I have one from M. M uses they, them pronouns. Uh, thank you, M, so much for writing into us. Uh, I'm going to read this story. It says, the actual story I want to tell is mostly humorous, if a little bit toxic in nature, but that's what you get with IFB kids. However, before I do the main story, I wanted to give a little background. For context purposes, I'm the youngest of six kids, and our parents were missionaries to Belgium and Holland while I was growing up. And then later, my dad started his own little church way out in the boonies of Alabama, roll tide, where there were as many meth labs as churches, but only the meth labs blew up usually. <laughs> dot, 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 usually. There's a story there, and I don't know. Our parents were slash are very conservative and big into IFB. My dad actually went to Hiles Anderson College when it first opened, but left a little early due to Hiles being a power hungry weirdo. And because my dad was so convinced that Jesus was coming back any second that he had to get out of there and start preaching the gospel as quickly as possible, like really desperate hype man on a really tiny budget. That's a combination of good and bad. I'd say, I, I think mm -hmm. seeing really reading Hiles as a power hungry weirdo is a plus, but you know, is this, everybody has their wins and losses in life. Yeah. Well, M goes on to say, still waiting for that comeback, JC. Just kidding. I'm an atheist now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, being so conservative was both just all I knew and therefore natural. And at the same time, so frustrating and stifling. I'm an AFAB person. And by now you well know that what kind of limitations and expectations were putting are put on us in the IFB. I knew from around the time I was six or seven that I never wanted to have kids, but everyone around me kept making comments about when you're a mother, as if it was an unavoidable reality before I'd even hit puberty. Ugh, yuck. That's kind of grooming behavior. My mom was slash is the biggest proponent of these comments. Fairly recently, she even broke into tears on a phone call, calling it, quote, unnatural that I don't want to have, that I still don't want to have kids. She needs better hobbies. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but we really started butting heads when, in my late teens, I realized that I'm non-binary. Not out to her to this day. Oof. That sucks. And I finally started dressing more how I wanted to dress. This included getting a short haircut, 
wearing pants. That's a whole nother story about how Hobby Lobby was ironically a gateway drug into me wearing pants. <laughs> Man. Whole of a way to start. Yeah. Hobby Lobby. They're, they're getting young queer people to wear pants and funding ISIS. So like, and also started my ongoing collection of flannel shirts. Hell yeah. I also bought my own underwear. Let me tell you, men's boxer briefs are so comfy. Unfortunately, my mom found the packaging for the underwear and told me that was cross-dressing and that I needed to get rid of them or God would punish me, etc. So I had to throw them away. Don't worry. I just got better at hiding my forbidden comfy underwear contraband. (laughs) How dare they? want to be comfortable all of the time yeah don't you know that god's plan for afab people is to always be pinched squeezed and itchy sounds about right in my experience from the ifb flash forward to about three years ago by this point i had moved out of the state and all the way across the country i had lived in the woods for a period of time doing conservation work and managed not to get eaten by bears or trampled by moose and had also managed not to die of heat stroke or freeze to death on a mountain. Good for you. <clears throat> I had also acquired a partner. <laughs> the wording. Somehow neither parent was terribly thrilled about it as we had started living together, or I'm sorry, TW for the phrase, we were living in sin. <gasps> Gasp. Oh no. But there wasn't much they could do about it besides lecture me that I would wind up barefoot and pregnant. But I wait, I thought pregnant was a good thing. Yeah. So their mom was upset because they didn't want to have a child. And then their mom threatened them with the potential of having a child as if it were a bad thing. Fundamentalism, baby. Let's go. Not very consistent. (laughs) But back then, that wasn't going to stop my mom from taking me to dirt cheap, damn it. (laughs) If you don't know, I, I I don't know what is this, Sadie. What's dirt cheap? Damn it! It's um, it's a store in the south. It's like um, is it like Dollar General? No, it's more like Kmart. It's like it's like a step below Kmart. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's just like a it's it's just like a budget store. Yeah. Okay. However, I had grown too complacent in my own independence and ability to buy whatever clothing I wanted or liked. While walking past one of the many bargain bins, I spotted a cheap pack of men's boxer briefs, and without thinking, I picked them up and put them in the basket. Mom looked at them and looked at me and said, does Darren need new underwear? That's BTW. That's like not a real name. That's a fake name, obviously. And like a brash idiot, I looked her dead in the eye and said, no, it's for me. There was a long pause. And then she looks at the underwear again, looks back at me and says, well, that's not very sexy. Doesn't Darren mind? <laughs> oh, yikes. Yeah, I nearly fainted in shock. My mother, who has never talked about sex openly or even said sexy ever in her life, as far as I know, who yelled at me for half an hour when she found out I knew what a hickey was, who made me wear culottes for 17 years, has the audacity to tell me that my underwear choices aren't sexy aren't sexy enough for a man she has never met and doesn't even like on principle. What a legend. The mental gymnastics her brain must have gone through to get there. 
I'm surprised it didn't give her a nosebleed. That's it. That's the story. It's a bit long-winded, but I can't help it. I'm a chronic detailer who doesn't need detail quite that much, but does it anyway. At any rate, that's how I got a podcast. Yes, it was, a, it was an enjoyable read. And at any rate, thanks for reading. I hope at least it gave you a bit of a chuckle and maybe even a chortle if I'm lucky. Well, it gave a little bit of a chortle and a little bit of a chuckle. Thank you so much, M, for writing into us. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was a brilliant takedown of the ideological inconsistencies of fundamentalism because it's like you, because of your assigned gender at birth, you must bear children. Like you are a person in possession of a uterus and therefore you must use it. And then they do things that their parents don't like. And then the mother says, well, you're going to have to use that uterus as if that would like be a bad thing, even though their mother spent most of their life trying to pressure them into bearing a child. Yes. And then you're a bad person because you are presumably, you're living with a person who you are not married to and presumably participating in sexual activity with them. And that makes you bad. But don't you dare buy underwear that I assume doesn't turn that person on. It's just like... <laughs> eight layers of <laughs> like a seven layer salad i was thinking seven layer dip but like, i guess like seven, layer seven layer salad, layer salad is more of ideological inconsistency yeah seven layer salad is more funny um thank you so much M, for reading or, i mean for writing to us we're gonna go right to this interview with megan um thank you guys so much this is uh, a really uh, a, a great listen we hope you guys enjoy it we are here with Megan Crozier, the one of the hosts of the Thereafter podcast, uh, and somebody that I really enjoy following on social media. I feel like I have a lot in common with. And we're here to talk about her experience of bisexuality in the church and my experience, kind of compare notes and have a chat. Welcome, Megan. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So your your podcast is um, about your story, your past in evangelicalism. Can you start by giving us your background, tell us your life story, whatever you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, and, and our podcast, I feel like, um, goes into a lot of different stories. So just to, just to put that out there. But um, yeah, I grew up... Um, evangelical and um, grew up in, in the Midwest in a non-denominational-ish church. And I say that because um, we were part of the Evangelical Free Church, but we were really um, based, I was in Illinois, we were based off of Willow Creek Community Church and kind of their like, quote unquote, seeker friendly model um, with like drama and, and all of that. And so um, I was I was all in. And so I was a student leader in my youth group. I went to public school through high school, but then I went to a Christian college. And out of all of the Christian colleges, because I went in Chicago, um, it was a more, I guess, liberal one compared to, I guess, Wheaton or Moody. Um, but I, I went there because I liked that environment at the time for me. And I, I, I knew all the rules. I loved rules. They felt like comfort for me I because it was like just tell me what to do and I'll do them and and it was easy until it wasn't you know <laughs> it's was kind of that thing and so I did that for a really long time I 
I almost became a missionary after college. I studied Spanish um, and youth ministry in college. And um, for a lot of reasons, that's a different story. Um, it, that didn't work out. And I went back to school and got a teaching degree. And then I was a teacher for 15 years. And so kind of during the pandemic, I, I started deconstructing everything, um, my career, my um, faith, my sexuality, just all kinds of things. And so, um, you know, and, and I think loosely over time, I had always had a little bit of the, I guess I could say Rachel Held Evans kind of tone in my, in my head, in my brain that would be like, wait a second. Um, and I would have those moments, but then I just, I didn't follow those kind of thoughts or, or lines of thinking for a while until I, until I did. And then once I did, I was kind of horrified. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, you get on, yeah, it's like a getting on a roller coaster and you get up to that, to the top of that big first hill and then you start going down your, and you think, oh my God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I definitely, definitely identify with that. I also went to Christian college in the Chicago area, believe it or not. Um, but I went to the, the really weird fundamentalist one over in Crown Point, Indiana. So I know that what was your what was your background uh, growing up in church and being in Christian college with in regards to LGBTQ people? Were were they affirming? Um, were they not affirming? Kind of a middle ground. What was your experience? What were you being taught? Well, so I have a, a story of a, a really good friend that I had in high school that was gay, and I brought him to youth group, and he was like, he knew he was gay. That wasn't a question. And so his first kind of charge was to go up to our youth pastor and say, what does the church think about this? And the immediate response was, um, you know, the whole love the sinner, hate the sin. And, and I think it was oh, so yikes. wild to me because at the time I just did not see the damage that that mentality has. And, and we don't have to unpack that now, but, but at the time I was like, oh, okay. Um, I, I see that, you know? And so that's kind of what, what I had, the message that I had for a very long time until I saw, you know, I, I it more, you know, in the last five, 10 years have dug in, but that was kind of what I grew up with. And that seems, I, I, I grew up in a, a less affirming, like on the far other end of that love the center, hate the sin spectrum. The people who are, who say that with their mouth, but in reality, very much do not practice the love the center part. Um, yeah. That sounds so nice. Like when you are fully immersed in that belief system, like you think that that's as good as you can possibly do. And it's, uh, it's difficult when you have that realization of, oh, this is not, it's not, this is not as good as I can do. And also this is not acceptable or good enough. Were you taught that gay people go to hell? Um, I, I was taught that our ultimate goal was to save them. Um, and you know, and I, and I'm trying to think if that message, I don't think that message was explicit, but I was taught that it was a kind of a wrong that needed writing, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, and you can you can get into all of these layers in evangelicalism where it's, oh no, gay people can absolutely get saved and go to heaven, but if they're really saved, isn't gonna isn't God gonna do a work in their heart to 
reduce the feelings of attraction that they have to people of the same gender or to change who they are or to magically make them straight and um, towards the more extreme end of that. I know that coming out as bi was a pretty recent development for you. Was that in the last like maybe year or so? Yeah, it was last August. I, I made a public post. It was right around the time of my 40th birthday. And that had been kind of a big year for me. I had learned a lot of things about myself. And um, it was just, um, I, I tweeted it out. It was something that I had a couple conversations with. Well, I had had a few friends that I had a lot of conversations with about it. Um, but um, yeah, I, I put it out on social media. And that was really, it, I was probably more publicly out than I, I did that more, I guess, in a public way than having, you know, several ongoing private conversations. I found, so I found you on Twitter, like right around that same time. Yeah. So it was, it was, oh, this new Twitter follow that I don't feel like I know yet through the internet and was seeing you doing um, a public coming out post. And that was really inspiring to me because I, I really love to see people giving themselves that affirmation at any point in their life. So that was a that was a fun time to find you on Twitter. And then I started listening uh, to your podcast and kind of got to know you a little bit better. So you the coming out was pretty recent. When did you first come to realize that you were not straight? I would say it, it was kind of a process, but it was it was more recent than it was ongoing for years, you know, so it was probably in the, in the last mm -hmm. year. And and also specifically to that post, I, I will just say that I was very overwhelmed by the support that I got from the queer community because I, I think I had a little bit of, I guess, by imposter syndrome just, you know, and I think that I was I, I was kind of processing and, and understanding and I was like, no, this is who I am. And just seeing how fiercely people were like, especially queer folks were like, welcome, you're one of us. We see you mm -hmm. and we understand you. And that was a very very big deal to me. And, um, and because I, I just wanted to also honor folks that had had, like, I didn't have this experience where I was closeted for years, and had that affect my mental health the way that it does to folks that are closeted and, and just know fiercely for many, many years. And so I wanted to honor that, like, my experience is different than other folks, and that there's a little bit, there's privilege in the in the way that I was able to come out. And then also being in, you know, a straight passing marriage at the time and, and just, um, and, and in, you know, the grand scheme of how folks face marginalization and things like that, and just knowing kind of where, where I'm at. And, and so that was, that was part of that whole journey. But as far as the kind of understanding my own self and my own journey, it was, it was something that I started to see a spark of in, in just as I was fiercely, I guess, an ally for the queer community, for the lack of a better way of saying, or an advocate, and just really mm -hmm. starting to deeply understand, like, this is what this looks like, and this is what, how people are treated in evangelicalism and things like that. And I, I really started to see myself in that, and I started to see, and I, and I think too, I'm going to be honest, as as queer representation becomes um, more and more visible in the in media and in in conversations and you start to hear yourself in other people's stories and see yourself portrayed you're like oh i resonate with that way more fiercely than i ever realized and so it was just a process and then having conversations where i i had more to understand about bisexuality than 
than I knew and about queerness than I than I had known. And so talking to my queer friends and reading books by queer authors and and things like that were were all, all part of that process. You hit on in that in that statement so many things that I want to talk about with you. So that was fantastic. I swear every time we have like a guest on um, and Sadie's like, I really want to talk to this person. Um, <laughs> they always tell a story like that. And I'm just like, where have I heard this story before? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yeah. Co-host. <laughs> yeah. Um, last week we had Pastor Noah Hepler. If you watch Queer Eye, he was the ECLA pastor. Oh, on that's the so, first episode yeah. of season five in Philly. Yep. I did. See oh that my episode. God. He was amazing. He and I are best friends now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like big scripture nerd. Like it, we had the best time. But like everything that he said, I was just like, where have I heard this before? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it is really an interesting to specifically be a bisexual person. And I, that's why I wanted to have you on this episode because I felt like you and I could have this conversation because there is inherent privilege. Uh, for bi people who are in straight passing relationships uh, and for bi people who don't present extremely queer, which is hard to do in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I have bright purple hair, multiple tattoos, and generally wear like jeans, a band shirt, and a flannel, and people think I'm a straight girl. Yeah. <laughs> because we live in I hear Portland. That. Yep. <laughs> My experience is that since I moved from Portland to Philadelphia, in Portland, the way that I look and the way that I dress is 100% straight. And I get to Philadelphia and like people keep asking me if I'm bisexual. It's very you have funny. a nose ring and a couple earrings. Oh, that's funny. In Portland, that's like, like you, the, the, the signaling, there's no signaling. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. So I want to circle back around to that like compad and, and the interesting place that bisexual people occupy like in society and in the LGBTQ universe because of like, there's like a hand in hand privilege and also erasure. And they go, it's kind of, it's both the same thing. I want to back up into your story for just a second first, if that's okay. Because sure. I feel like there were, for me, there were signs of, oh yeah, this kid is absolutely bi all the way back to childhood. I did not have any access to language about like what the, the bisexuality existed. So my story is kind of, oh, I grew up, I knew I was attracted to boys. So I never thought to ask myself if I was attracted to girls because I'm attracted to boys. Therefore, I'm straight and not a sinner and we're okay. But yeah. now like with my with my perspective, oh, there were signs. Um, do you feel like, what's your story regarding that? Do you feel like you might have realized you're bisexual sooner if you had more access to language or information? Oh, a thousand percent. I think that, you know, our society is so heteronormative and it's just, that's that's the water that we swim in. And it's outside of even evangelicalism, I think just society as a whole. And so, um I think back and, and I, I've had other people that come out as bi and they'll say things like, oh, that friendship that I had with that childhood friend was like a crush. And I, I don't have those moments, right? But I do have moments where, and I do think that if, if I had given myself permission to have attraction to anyone, there would have been attraction there a lot sooner. 
Um, but I do, I do have these moments where I'll, I'll be telling a story to someone and they'll be like, Meg, that's like, a, like you realizing that you were bi or, you know, like, I'll, I'll be like, wait, everyone, <laughs> that's a very gay story. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone wasn't turned on by this Victoria's Secret catalog. Like I, I just thought that that was like a thing that happened to everyone. And they're like, no, like, <laughs> you know, and so it's things like that or, or, um, I was watching the good place with a friend. And they were talking about how Eleanor's character is super bi. And I'm like, I just never noticed. And so they like paused oh the show <laughs> and they pointed out like when she was saying how hot Tahani was. And I was like, well, that's just like a fact. Like that, like not like, <laughs> I feel like that everybody just knows that. And they're like, no, she's she's bi. She's attracted to women too. And, and so I think that those moments, like I missed them because I just thought, um, oh, like even if, like I just thought, oh, straight people feel this way too. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know that many straight people, but the ones that I do know inform me that straight people act like like straight women don't uh, don't experience attraction to other women. I know that sounds crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and this is such a it's such a good like I love talking about that kind of thing because this is such a good example of how queerness is inherent to people because we were not raised in affirming environments. But that was still there. That was always a part of who you were. Also, Eleanor is incredibly by <laughs> Tahani is so beautiful. Yes. And The Good Place is one of the best shows ever. And in the show, it's almost played for laughs because that's often, I think, how by women, by femmes and uh, people around them, like, don't take them quite as seriously or they might not even take themselves and those feelings seriously. So it's, we're getting back into erasure. I feel like this whole, it's like, um, it's like a cycle, like, oh, by privilege, by erasure, by privilege, by erasure. Well, and I think, and I, I kind of also want to name that it's a different experience for men than it is for women, because oh, I yeah. think there is this whole thing where it's like, oh, like if a woman said like, yeah, I experimented in college with, with women, that's kind of normalized, right? And I think when men say that, there's a different there's a different acceptance societally to that. Like, oh, I experimented with men in college, you know. And so I think there is this whole like almost fetish fetishization of like women and women, you know. And so it's 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 a totally mm -hmm. it's a totally different experience. And I, I do want to name that because I think there is um, there is a piece of that that makes your experience really nuanced when you come out as bi as a woman. Yes, thank you for that. Uh, there's also the perception, I think, is that all bi women are actually straight and all bi men are actually gay. Hmm, yeah. Like, if you, uh, the way I feel like I've been treated as a bi feminine person has been like, oh, you're a straight girl who thinks that women are beautiful because everybody thinks that women are beautiful. And people that I know who are bi men, it's like, oh, you are a gay man who can't accept yourself. And so it's it's a double standard that doesn't take anybody at their word when they tell you who they are. And I hate that. Definitely. And I and I think too, I wish I would have understood that because part of me understanding myself was understanding that your attraction to different genders may not be on an equal level. So like knowing that Maybe if you, and I've, I think I've said this on um, an episode I did on Thereafter with Cortland when we talked about our bisexuality, but like knowing that um, if you line up 10 people, men and women, you know, five men, five women, 
you know, you might, it, it, your level of attraction is may not be 50, 50 or whatever it is, you know? And so I like knowing mm -hmm. that it, 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 your type of attraction and your type when it comes to women is maybe different than your level of attraction type when it comes to men or, or the connectedness that you feel with the person. And there's so many different realities to it that it's not just like a, a binary, I guess. And so I, I think there were so many conversations I had about that kind of thing. And then also having discovered my sexuality while I was in a monogamous marriage, knowing like I had people ask me like, have you had experiences with women? And I was like, you know, I, like I don't need that to validate my sexuality because that's not what bisexuality is about. It's not about an experience. <laughs> no, you absolutely don't. Because, well, because people know people who are straight and want to have sex with somebody of a different gender than them, um, they know that they are straight before they have sex with anyone, right? Exactly. People who have not yet had sex know that they are straight. People who have not yet had sex know that they are gay. And bisexual people who have not yet had sex with somebody of a gender that they would hypothetically like to do not need to go have an experience that you can, that the person questioning them can mine to get whatever they want out of that conversation in order to be valid as bisexual people. Yes, a thousand percent. Sorry. I'm sorry, you got me on a, on a little bit of a rant. No, there. it's a good rant. It's an absolutely good rant because we don't ask high school students when they're, when they're, you know, like wanting to date the opposite gender, like how do you really know that you're straight unless you've had an experience with your, the opposite gender? <laughs> right, right. We don't, we, we don't ask anybody that. I, I, um, I also wanted to say as far as a spectrum of attraction to genders other than your own, the Kinsey scale actually was really validating for me regarding that yes. because you can be, so somebody who is primarily in the, in the words of the Kinsey scale, primarily homosexual, but more than incident or primarily, primarily heterosexual, but more than incidentally homosexual. That's a bi person. Mm -hmm. What is the Kinsey scale? Oh, buddy. <laughs> I don't know about Google these it. Things. Go ahead and Google Kinsey scale and I'll explain it to you. Okay. How do I spell that? K-I-N-S-E-Y. Uh, uh, Dr. Alfred Kinsey was an early sexuality researcher who did a lot to normalize non-straight sexual attraction. His work is not bad or wrong. It has been expanded on greatly. There's a lot that he didn't quite get to. But he was the a huge part of the foundation of the way that we understand attraction now. So if you look at if you pull up an image of the Kinsey scale, you'll see um, like a zero to scale of zero to six. So somebody that is a zero is only heterosexual, only straight, and somebody who is a six is only gay. And then there's that whole one to five. So a three is exactly 50-50. And then if you're like, if you're at a two, you're mostly into people of a different gender than you, but a little bit into people of the same gender as you. Or if you're like a five, are you looking at the scale? Yeah, I've got you it right it. in front of me. If you're a five, then you're almost always into people of the same gender as you but every once in a while you know somebody of a different gender just does it for you it it explains people's sexual attraction as something different from like you're straight you're gay or you're exactly 50 50 down the middle by 
because that's not how a lot of people experience, uh, especially bisexuality. And you can experience different within the, with so there's sexual attraction and there's also romantic attraction, right? So I experience, honestly, more sexual attraction to women and feminine people, but I generally experience more romantic attraction to men and masculine people. So that can also get thrown into the mix. It's not, it's not binary. Yes. So that was, that was kind of a tool that I came across really early in my journey of understanding myself that was really validating and helped me put myself at a place on a scale, even though my place on that scale has moved around multiple times and I'm sure it will again. Yeah. And, and I think that's good to know too, because I think people feel like they need to like mark, okay, like I came out as bi on this day. And then from, from that day when I was 40 years old to, to the rest of my life, that that's who I am now. And, and people shift and change and, and attractions shift and change. And I've had people that have come out as ace and then that has changed and I've had you know all different kinds of things and I think validating like it it doesn't have to be this this okay now you're this forever absolutely and we that should always be celebrated when somebody gets to know themselves better yes like what an amazing magical thing and I'll put an image on the Kinsey's of the of the Kinsey scale on our Instagram for that. I just I'm really glad you asked, Avi, because I just blew past that because in my head that's something everybody knows about. So I'm really glad that you <laughs> asked. <laughs> well, that's what we do on this show. Yeah. yeah, usually I'm sharing horrible things about Christian fundamentalism. <laughs> it's nice to be talking about nice things. Explain this very basic Christian doctrine to me that everybody would have known if they Grew okay, up Megan, but he asks about that and he's like, explain atonement. <laughs> yeah, but okay, so true confession earlier, just in this interview, I Googled something you asked me because I don't use that language of compet that you said. Oh. And so I, I'm so used to saying like, how, how did I say it that we're... Um, Oh, heteronormativity, right? Yeah. And so that's just kind of how I frame that conversation. And so when when I looked it up and it's compulsory heterosexuality, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it's, I just have just, never shortened it like I that. I just say I just say compat because I will trip over the word heteronormativity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really thinking about it's it's just because I know what I pronounce well on mic. That's the only reason. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. So um what so we talked about you know, understanding of what bisexuality is and having language to describe yourself. And that's a barrier that prevented both of us from coming out to ourselves sooner. Were there other barriers that prevented you from coming out to yourself before you came out to the world? Oh, for sure. Um, and I think legibility, I think to like knowing that once I make kind of a statement and I think, well, I guess to myself first um, is your question. So I want to focus on that um, because, you know, the, it's different to be legible to others, but also to kind of have an understanding of like, what does it mean to be bisexual? And what does it, that mean when you're in a monogamous um, straight passing marriage? And, and so what, what we had, there were a lot of conversations that were had around that and, and a lot of um, coming to an understanding of what that was. And so even trying to figure out, and, and like I said earlier, the imposter syndrome that I had, cause I was like, well, I can't be queer because I've had so many friends that have known 
since they were like six, you know, or like they've mm -hmm. just known all along that, you know, like this is, this is who I am. And, and I, and I've also seen so like my queer friends go through so much trauma in the church and, and because I was kind of leaving already when I was, when I was processing this and coming out, like I just didn't have this experience of sitting in pews and having my very existence be, you know, talked about the way that it is talked about in such a hateful way. And, and so um, I had that process of like, is this really who I am or am I allowed to be by, and, and it was so helpful to have like, you know, my, my podcast co-host Cortland is one of my best friends. It was, he was somebody that I processed a lot of this with and other queer friends too. And it was, it was so um, great to have the validation of those conversations and other kind of creators. And like I said, authors that kind of process that too. So I think um, I, like I, you know, I want to shout out to Paula Stone Williams who wrote her book on um, transitioning genders when she was 60 years old and she had been married for 40 years. And so I was like, okay. Wait, was she a, was she a pastor? Because I think I have seen videos if so. Yes. Yes. She was a pastor. I have yep. seen videos of her speaking. She is amazing. Yeah. So I met her. And now I want her book. She's amazing. Thank you. I met her at Wild Goose last year. She was really, really a great friend to me um, that weekend. And we had her on thereafter, but she talks a lot about gender and just kind of what it was like to be in the world as a man. And then um, how that, how transitioning just kind of opened her eyes to what women experience. But, but just her whole story allowed me to be like, cause I, I kind of thought, well, I'm 40 years old. It's kind of too late, <laughs> you know, to have like, a new awakening to something. And I was like, no, she was married for 40 years and, and was 60 years old when she had her awakening and, and it wasn't too late for her. And, and I was like, I, this is who I am. And I want to be authentic about who I am. And I'm so glad that you did that because that it was right in the middle of that process that I found you on Twitter and hit that follow button and wanted to hear more about what you had to say. Um, what was, what do you think was more difficult coming out to yourself or, or coming out to the world? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a trick. That's kind of a hardball question. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it was, it was a long process of, of trying, you know, trying to figure out like who, who I was and is this me and that kind of thing. But what I didn't want to do was have that process over and over and over again with people that didn't understand, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. so I, I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I was getting questioned for justification, validation, explanation. Um, and so that's why I chose to come out the way that I did, because I did have people in my life come to me afterwards offended at the way that I came out publicly instead of to them privately um, first. And so it was, you know, when, when I get that feedback, my inclination is to really kind of first say like, well, this isn't really about you. <laughs> and, and second right. say like, also, I feel like you're asking the wrong question. Like, instead of kind of, you know, like, why did you come out this way? Like, I think those folks should maybe ask themselves, like, what was it that prevented me from being a safe space? to have those conversations with Megan, you know? So I don't, I want to be really careful how I phrase this because coming out 
very publicly all at once kind of getting everybody in one fell swoop is more than valid. But I want to share my incredibly different experience. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, I never came out. (laughs) Like, I never made a Facebook post. Um, I never did anything or I don't know how to party. What do people do? Um, I did come out to my parents and my siblings uh, Christmas of 2017 because I had a girlfriend at the time. This was, this was right before I met my husband. Um, I had a girlfriend and I really thought we were something. I mean, I was shopping for engagement rings while I was in Alabama. And then, of course, she broke my heart because mm. that's what really pretty girls do. It's okay. <laughs> that's her mm. right. <laughs> she is allowed. You know how people come out, Sadie, is if they get like, you know, the gender reveal cake, but like you cut it open and it's the bi flag colors inside. I might just make the... that for myself. Megan, do you want some cake? What kind I, of icing do you I know. Like? I would love that. But also I was um, having flashbacks. I bake. I like, can bake a cake. Yes. But like, it's, I, I was thinking like, it's not like baptism, right? Like it, that. that's <laughs> like when you, when the way you said that, like, oh, I didn't do this big thing. And it, I was thinking like. It, there's not like this um, sacrament that you have to do to, to become part of the queer community. You know what I mean? Yes. Um. <laughs> they dip they dip your head in the water of I don't know what's what's a really bisexual rose. Rose. Yeah, I, I <laughs> like rose. Yeah. I've been drinking, I don't know, Gabby. Uh, are you sure you don't need to be asking yourself some questions, bud? I've been drinking pink prosecco uh, because they had a really good deal on it at the liquor store. So maybe. Hmm. Yeah, so they dip your head in, in pink Prosecco and they uh, <laughs> proclaim you in the name of uh, David Bowie and Kristen Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, so I just, I never, you know, I always felt like when it came down to it, I felt like coming out publicly was an, ob- it felt like an obligation and felt like a burden. Mm. And rather than, and it sounds like it didn't feel that way for you. No, and I, th- well, I- it didn't feel like an obligation, but I, it was important to me to to a yeah. be who I was and b I I have a lot like I said about legibility like there's a lot of people in my life that that really don't understand and I I was okay with that because I was like I would rather them me be the one queer interaction that they've heard of in in mm-hmm. in and have that kind of nugget of huh what happened there to carry into as as the next generation coming in is becoming more and more authentic about who they are and their queerness and things like that. And to, to have like my peer group that are raising kids that are my kids age, cause my kids are nine and 11 right now. And, and having them be able to be like, huh, there, I do know someone that's queer, you know? And I like, it just felt like to, that was the, the, I wanted there to be a little bit more representation in some folks' lives. And then also to be authentically who I was. And, and again, that's not for everyone. And I want to validate, like, if, if if you don't have that big, you know, I have to have this coming out moment, like, that's, that's a totally valid way to be bisexual. Yeah. And so is, from the other side, so is having a giant coming out Facebook post, have a party, celebrate and explain and get it all out in one place. I totally support that way as well. Yeah. See, I was also, you know, we're talking about something that happened over six years ago. So I was also 24 when I, so what, what I did was I, I did come out to my family because I really thought it was going to be something with this particular girl. And that was the only coming out conversation I ever had. 
And then I just, after that Christmas, I just started living as a bi person and posting bi flags during Pride Month and dating people. And then I, you know, then I pretty quickly met my husband and got into a monogamous relationship with him. But I just, I just kind of never quit talking about it. I think I mentioned being bi in like the first episode of this podcast, but I just never had a, a big coming out thing again. And I, I thought to myself, well, maybe I, maybe I have to make a Facebook post and deal with the ire of the people from my church growing up. Yeah, no, who wants like to maybe, do that? No. <laughs> like, maybe I have to, like, earn my queerness, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no. By by dealing with this, this dealing with this anger, dealing with this hatred and taking it. Because just a lot like you, I grew up in a very homophobic, non-affirming place. But I would hear, and I would hear preaching about how terrible this or that group of people are. But I never internalized it because I did not know yet mm -hmm. that who they were describing was me. So I felt like I hadn't earned my queerness by experiencing hatred or anger from other people. And I felt that I was obligated to make a public coming out statement so that I could get that anger response and, or get that I'm so disappointed in you response. And that would or like kind of... Uh, be my my christening into the gay community if we're going back with the uh, into the LGBT community if we're going with the baptism uh, analogy. Yeah. And I eventually realized that like that's not <clears throat> what makes me a bi person. Being bi is what makes me a bi person. Yes. It's I I love talking about kind of this area of coming out, especially coming out as a bi person because I think it gives us such a good opportunity to validate other people and to remind people that there is no such thing as, as the wrong time, as too late, or a bad reason to come out. There's no, there's no bad reason to come out or to delay coming out, right? Yeah. I, well, and, and also to be fair to kind of what you just spoke to, I did not make a Facebook post. <laughs> I, I came out in my own house on Twitter and um, screenshot that to Instagram, which is adjacent to my house. And then that trickled over to Facebook. And the only, and you know, most of the reception that I got was, was like I said, queer folks that were wonderfully embracing and accepting. And the few folks that had questions or problems with it had seen it come up on Facebook. It threw my, you know, mm -hmm. pursuing life, like Facebook professional page. That's just like a, it, it, it's just when you check the box that Instagram copies over to Facebook. So, right. so I, there, there were ways that I, I wasn't, you know, I, I did avoid the old like church youth group, you know, and, and all of that. But, um, but I will say when it comes to validating, there were a lot of people that are not out still even that were in my dms saying hey thank you for this because i see myself in your post and i'm not out for this this and this reason or i'm not out even mm -hmm. to my family or even to my husband or even to my kids or at work um and and i think like you said being out in public does is not what makes you queer it's being queer that makes you queer mm -hmm. and so i think that's absolutely valid to have you know 
for whatever that reason is, I'm not out, you know, and that, that, that's super valid. That's you and that's your journey. And anything that, so something that a person is doing to keep themselves safe at their job, in their family, in a church that, you know, when they're in a faith transition, whatever, that is, that is okay. And there is, you don't get to a point in life where it's too late to come out if coming out is something that's important to you. Yes. Let's um, go take up the offering. And when we come back, I'm really excited to continue this conversation. Sounds good. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We're talking about bisexual pride. Sadie and Megan are talking about bisexual pride. I'm mostly just here. Uh, 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 you are being an ally and learning stuff today. I'm learning quite a lot today. I learned about the... Um, the Kinsey scale. I learned about the Kinsey scale today, which I didn't know about before. Um, so I feel really about great Compet. about that. Yeah. yeah. I know. So Megan, I want to talk a little bit more about like the theological side of this. Um, was any facet of your own queerness a catalyst for deconstructing or did it kind of go the other way around? Like you deconstructed first and then started to find out about your queerness? Yeah, it's funny because I think that I had a tweet, something to the effect of like the pipeline of becoming queer affirming to becoming queer is <laughs> is very real, like the ex-evangelical pipeline. Um, and I had a lot of folks that were like, oh, that was me. And then I had a, a lot of folks that were like, actually, my, my journey was the opposite. Like I was queer and then I was queer affirming, which is very valid because that happens to so many folks that grow up in the church. And I think for me specifically, I was deconstructing first and I became queer affirming. And, and, I, and a lot of that um, 
queer affirm affirmation came from watching a sermon series that I was I was going to this local church at the time and they were doing this series on race and it was actually a really well done series in some regards um, and in others it wasn't um, but what what happened was in that series they they kind of took black lives matter and they were like this is the part of black lives matter that we are on board with and then the part where they disrupted nuclear family structure we're not on board with. And so I, I went down a rabbit hole and I found a series that that pastor had preached at a different church about homosexuality. And that was the first time it had been laid out to me that if you're queer in the church, you have three options. You can be celibate for life. You can um, force yourself into a heterosexual marriage or, and they kind of said, if you choose to live into your queer identity, then you're just not living what God's plan for you was. Oh, and I thanks. just at the time was like, okay, so I went through purity culture, like wait until you're married to have sex. And the, the thought of being told like, no, actually sex just isn't something that you get to have in life. Sorry, um, you just drew a different card in, in life. And, and I could just, I was like, I could almost sense the trauma just being handed to folks sitting there listening to that and being like, okay, this is me that you're talking about. And so these are the rules that I'm given. And, and like I said before, I was a rules person, like give me the rules and I'll follow them. And I could just feel like there are people trying to follow these rules as if these rules are correct and that is not okay, you know? And so that's when it just, everything started to shake up and shake upside down for me. So that was first before I even knew my own queerness. So the topic of queerness was a thing that helped you deconstruct, even though it wasn't your own. That's fascinating. A thousand percent. Yeah. And it, and it was, uh, you know, even some of the resources that kind of got me into queer affirmation, I, don't think are affirming enough anymore. You know what I mean? So Gross. like there was Love a book that it. I read that um, was like, it, here's how you can be gay and Christian. And it was a lot of like respectability po politics of like, mm -hmm. as long as you're like, you're monogamous and you wait until you're married to have sex and you can be just like the straights, then like you can still be, okay, we'll, we'll allow it. And I was like, okay, there needs to be like an expansive understanding of queerness because they're still trying to create binaries there that just um, should not be there. Yeah, that is, that is uh, tough. <laughs> and it also seems to me like in order for them to understand it or I, I guess be on board with it, they have to feel like it's within the framework of what uh, of what they're already saying they're just they're like okay mm -hmm. we can get on board with this thing as long as it's still within what we say that you have to do yes a thousand percent and that i i got to that point that's a really great great point because i got to the point where i was like some of this stuff that is um especially in the particular resource that i was reading like I wasn't quite sure about the argument that they were making about like how the theology works, but I, I got to a point where I was like, I don't even care if I can make the theology make sense or not, because it's more important to me to see and love and be inclusive to people than it is to try to make sense of this within a theological framework. And so my ethics and my values are not based on the Bible. And I've had people say like, what, like, what, what, what are they based on then? Like, what, how, how can you possibly be a moral person and not have ethics based on the Bible? But I feel very rooted in harm reduction and human flourishing. And I feel like um, that's taken me way farther in the sense of loving people than I ever went when I was an evangelical. 
I had just talked about this on our show a couple weeks ago about um, moral development not necessarily needing to come from the Bible, even for people who are believers. Yeah. Like you, you can absolutely use the Bible as a great source for moral development if that is one of your sources. But you can even, you, if you want to, you can even mix it up a little bit. You can get yeah. some of your beliefs about morals from the Bible and others from reasoning or expounding on scripture. It's really interesting how being an ally came first because that's kind of similar to my experience. And it all, it was a more of a spiral slash kind of all happened at once thing. But that was that was not too dissimilar from from my experience. I know you've spoken on thereafter about whether identifying as a Christian still feels right to you. And I know from my own experience that that can be a long process. And I don't want to grill you like where exactly are you in your process because <laughs> that's mean. But what I what I do want to ask at the place where you currently are in your own deconstructing process what do you need from like progressive and affirming christians like what do you need to see from people who are firmly christian but want to be progressive and fully affirming yeah so there's a couple things in there first of all i'm ha like i i don't feel like it's a grilling at all to talk about where i'm at with my faith but um i i will say this progressive christianity held a lot of space for me when i'm when i was deconstructing and i needed that i needed the sense that if I still wanted to hold on to some sense of Christianity, I could. And if if I wanted to let it go, I could. And I felt like progressive Christianity sat there with all of it. And and there were times where I pushed back on, on good friends of mine that tweeted generalizations about progressive Christians, where I was like, hey, like I don't see myself in this tweet and I see myself as a progressive Christian. And they were like, absolutely a thousand percent. And we had conversations about that, you know? And, um, and I was going to a progressive church for a little bit and, and then it, it was like, I stopped needing it, you know? And it was like, I, I got to a point where it didn't, it didn't become important to me anymore to be able to say without, with, with like, you know, certainty, like, Oh, I'm still a Christian. I, it, that wasn't, it wasn't scary to me to say, I'm not really even sure what I believe. And so I I made a statement recently about like just changing my bio from progressive Christian to agnostic. And I was kind of like, you know, I've had conversations with folks where it's like, if you say you're not agnostic, you're, you, I don't know how honest you're being because who has the level of certainty that you would need to not have some level of agnosticism, you know? So yeah, fundamentalists, that's who. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not to generalize, but a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who have like that kind of I I know that I know that I know, are and I and I think you can generalize certain, you know, you can like, and that's why like when I tweet about um, evangelicals, I'm pretty specific to say evangelicals and not Christians, you know, and and so, uh, and even within that, I've had evangelicals reach out and say like, well, that's not me, and I'm like, okay, but when I say evangelicals, I'm talking about this, this, and this, and they're like, okay, well, that is me, you know, <laughs> like, and so mm -hmm. I, I do think that there are certain things that are by definition evangelical that you can critique about evangelicals. Um, but, but, uh, um, on the other side of your question, um, 
which was about what we need. Um, actually, say it again, if, if you don't mind. What? So at the place where you currently are, what do you need to see from people who are firmly Christian, progressive Christians and want to be affirming? I guess I'm asking, like, as somebody who is queer and as somebody who is still in faith transition. Yeah, and I can I can answer that as someone that I'm going to fully confess and fully admit that sometimes I struggle with um, people. Like, I, I guess Cortland and I on the podcast have a good balance of, like, I don't have a lot of patience for folks that aren't fully, fully affirming. And he, like, is able to make more nuance. And I've even had private conversations about this um, where, I, you know, if there's an asterisk next next to your affirmation, then I'm not here for that, you know? And so um, I think when it comes to like what's necessary, I think sit down and listen. And I don't know if I did enough of that as an ally, I will tell you, but I see a lot of, a lot of folks like on Twitter that I say even are great allies, but are almost platforming themselves on as straight men, straight, cis, white men. And, and I say it because I see more men do it than I see women, but platforming themselves um, on queer affirmation. And it's kind of like getting into this territory of like, that's so great that you're an ally. Is, is this benefiting you more than it's benefiting the folks that you're trying to be an ally for and show up for. Um, because it feels like in some cases it can be. And so it's like, what what are your kind of, what's the incentive that you have to be inclusive? Is it because you're trying to like grow your platform, grow your church, grow your following? You know, it's like, or is it because you really see and love queer people? Because I think that's a really that's a distinction. And I think not everybody has sat with that, that thought and that mentality. And um, that's just getting into progressive spaces. I mean, if, if you're not fully inclusive and affirming, then you're not even at this conversation at the table, having this conversation, you know what I mean? And I want, <clears throat> cause I am in a slightly different, but not that different place with faith and you know, still kind of finding my way, but I could, see my end game being fully affirming progressive Christian. I, that's one of several sure. places that I could definitely see myself ending up. And, you know, I want to know how to truly build bridges with people who are atheist or agnostic or in a more hazy area of belief. Because if that is the path that my spirituality ends up taking, which looks that's the direction i'm heading right now i want to i want to have actual connection with people you know what i mean yeah and i think that a lot of that also comes from just embracing and accepting fully the person fully who they are without without stipulation and i think that means like i you know i was at a progressive church that had a panel about deconstructing faith and on that panel were people that were atheists people that were agnostic and and a lot of churches would have been like you can only be up on stage if you still believe in this xyz god right mm -hmm. and and so i think um validating you can be queer and be a christian you can be queer and not be a christian you can be queer and be whoever you are and i'm still gonna sit at the table with you and there's no requirement there's no like 
oh, you have to be this kind of queer or this way of being in the world in order for you to come into my space or share space with me or, or for me to hold space for you or whatever it is. Like, I think that that really, that's how connection and relationship happen when there's no requirement. You can, you know, and that isn't even about queerness. You can be a, a hot mess and, and I'll show up for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, I like so much of of where I've ended up in this like online space, talking deconstruction, talking my own experience has necessitated building bridges with people who are in a little bit different place than I am. Mm-hmm. Like I, one of my really good friends in the online deconstruction content creation space is an atheist and that is not gonna change. That is what he believes in who he is. My podcast co-host is Jewish and sees everything outside this this kind of right. Christian hegemony that we're so used to. That's me. <laughs> yes. Hi, Gavi. You're still here. I love that. I abs- I adore that. <laughs> and so like every conversation we have on our podcast necessitates that kind of like cross, like a bridge across to different religious beliefs. And I... Like I do, I do not get to be that Christian person anymore. Who's like, well, you know, actually, Christian came, Christianity came from Judaism. Blah blah blah. Like I don't get to do that anymore. I yeah. have had to grow out of that real quick. The other thing that I think about um, is that when I don't understand something and you have to explain it to me, um, or when we have a, a conversation where we have to go in depth about a concept like that, when you're like completely outside of it, then the person who's explaining it to you has to like low-key deconstruct that concept for themselves Mm -hmm. in order to be able to explain it to you and Mm -hmm. i think that that that's um for me there have been times when i've had to do that and i'm I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head but i can't think of one but i know i know that that's um you know what episode hit me really hard for that one which one was it's a very very early episode is uh don't you dare have a christian seder right because all of a sudden megan i'm having to explain to my friend who is not a Christian and who is Jewish about the Lamb of God and atonement and mm-hmm. all of these things and like prophecies in scripture. And I'm like, oh, the way that I, none of the way that I'm explaining this is remotely culturally sensitive. Mm-hmm. The way that I'm explaining this is very much like my way is the right way. And I am going to have to take all of that apart and figure it out and i'm gonna actually have to have a conversation about this but i that is such i value that so much and i value the opportunity to do that so much and that's really what i i'm gonna get into like christianese that's where my heart is um Mm -hmm. for people who are in this deconstruction space who are believers or not believers or not sure and who are affirming allies or queer i think there is something that all of us can make together, but it it depends on our ability to have those conversations. I was just gonna say, I I think um, I think that those conversations are important. And like I said, like the first book that I read about um, you know theology and and queer theology is a book that I is a resource that I not only don't recommend anymore, but I push back on their Instagram posts because they've you know taken some of the stances that they've taken. 
but do I think that their resource should be like stripped from shelves? If it helps people that are early on in their journey? No, right? But I struggle with that, right? Because I I have a hard I have a hard time with some of those conversations that need to happen in the early stages. And maybe it's because I see myself in those and I know how fiercely ignorant I used to be and how much work it took to get. And mm-hmm. and so you would think that that would make me even more I guess empathetic, but it, it's it's hard. It's almost harder for me. And I I remember seeing a progressive author that I push back on because she writes about sexuality in a way that I disagree with. A progressive author kind of have this post about um, I, I won't say her name because I, the last time I critiqued her on a podcast, the podcast got a one star review because progressives <laughs> hate it when I get mad. I'll t- I'll tell you after we wrap. But um, when I get mad about her, but she had this post that was like. If, if I'm on a spectrum of like A, B, C, D, and E, and I'm trying to move from point A to point E, I need people to help me go from like point A to point C before I can get all the way to E. And it's like, I got what she was saying, but she's also non-affirming. And so I was like, that's a lot of letters to say without saying LGBTQ, you know, like it was just yeah. like, and so and I like, get it. Are I get you it, trying but... to get to E? Exactly. <laughs> Or are you trying to get to see and give yourself a round of applause for how far you've come? Exactly. And and recognize the privilege that you can just like take your time, you know, slowly getting from point A to point B to point B while they're like legislating to make people's existence illegal. You know, it's like, like recognize the privilege that you have just, just kind of idling away in this. So yeah, I do get ranty about it. And I, and I have probably areas of growth that I need for that kind of level of like, it's okay to like, we we can have some of those beginner conversations and, you know, but I, it is hard. See, I want, is it okay? I want to push back on like your statement of, I need to grow and be more ready to have those beginner conversations And I'm actually going to use scripture to do it, so please don't hate me. (laughs) But like, this is a, okay, this is a concept that you are absolutely familiar with is the concept of spiritual gifts, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, And I don't know, do you, did somebody ever tell you? I don't know, what spiritual gifts, Sadie, what spiritual gifts? It's in in the sequels, Gavi. (laughs) I'm putting on my seatbelt. You mean the fan fiction? (laughs) Yeah, yes, Gavi, it's in the fan fiction. That's what he calls the New Testament, Megan. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, this is this is also by Apostle Paul, who is your favorite, Gavi. Oh, you mean the guy who like murdered a bunch of people, and then said, "I changed my mind. I'm not going to murder people anymore. Please believe me that I'm a good guy now." Yeah, Megan, I'm going to find the episode where I explained the Apostle Paul and send it to you. It is comedy yeah. gold. <laughs> yeah, because he had no Please. idea. He had never heard of the guy. So this. Oh is, wait, it, can we just? I, I that's great. I'd Somebody heard growing of the guy. up without ever hearing about the Apostle Paul, I like that's a great existence. I I heard of the guy. I, know, I just didn't like pay. It to, like no, literally, when any, whenever anybody who is like um is is talking about like oh uh Matthew said this, I'm like cool. Like that Matthew. But Paul, you like you know Luke, like you had a concept all, of like, like what the Gospels are and like what revelation is but he didn't really have any idea what went between the gospels and revelation <laughs> no basically it's yeah. um it's like a bunch of people say stuff about jesus they say they say this is what happened to jesus and then revelation has dragons and the apocalypse and that's <laughs> yeah. the the yeah the... and there's like two-thirds of the new testament is in between those two things and and you had no idea what was in there yeah and then um somehow the palpatine returned with uh secrets only the sith knew 
and they don't explain any of it. That's in the Apocrypha, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Niche Christian joke. So, okay, Gavi, spiritual gifts. Um, do you know about the fruits of the spirit? Love, yes. joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Yes. Gavi, heard no. of this? What, what, okay. What's this? So the idea is that Christians are impacted by the Holy Spirit, and they will show these character traits when they are in tune with the Holy Spirit. Oh, like Bill Gothard. Yes. Or Donald like, Trump. <laughs> right. <laughs> Famous example of all the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> um, but there's also this idea of spiritual gifts. So when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you will get, it's almost like Christian superpowers, but they're very boring superpowers. One of them is discernment. So basically wisdom about making decisions and situations and like understanding what other people are up to. There, One of the spiritual gifts is teaching. So you like the Holy Spirit makes you a better teacher, a better explainer of things to other people. Megan, did, do you remember, like, did somebody ever tell you what your spiritual gift was? A thousand percent. Am I, are we go, are we going there right now? Oh yeah, like what's your spiritual gift? I gotta know. <laughs> so I okay, I need a little bit of an explanation, but it won't take very long. I was I had this whole bit where I prayed for like an hour a day for a few years, and it was just kind of like um, I I wanted to be able to tell people like if they said. To, if they asked me to pray for them, I wanted to be able to say like, I will and really follow through kind of like when you go to the dentist and they're like, do you floss your teeth? And you're like, yeah, I actually do. Like I really yes. do, you know? <laughs> and, and so that's just the brain that I have. And so when I did the inventories, my gifts were faith and intercession, um, intercession, cause I actually prayed, but then also faith because, um, because I would like, people would tell me what was going on with their lives. And I would like ask them how things were going when things went well i was i believed that that was god doing that because i had mm -hmm. prayed for them you know what i mean so then i had this like fate weird faith where you know, you know so uh, yeah so i'm a discernment girly and there is absolutely a discernment to uh witchy sh pipeline that is the the deconstruction pipeline that nobody seems to talk about. <laughs> okay, wait. So so discernment is that like a, a plus two plus four? If you like roll a d twenty. Yes, um, it's it's Holy Spirit mind reading. Okay, so Christian so, so superpower. Yes. Uh, roll for discernment, and then it's like plus four. Right, which means, <laughs> which means basically, um, trauma response is the other way to say that. <laughs> um. So. Megan, back to, you were talking about, I promise this is going somewhere. You were talking about like, oh, I think I need to have more patience for people who are early in the process of becoming affirming. Yes. What if that's just not your role? Because I am, not to toot my own horn, I'm really good at that. I have the capacity to sit down and have a three-hour conversation and not accept not expect that person to get from point A to point E, but be fully satisfied and happy that I was able to get them from point A to point B. And maybe on the next three hour conversation, I'll get them to B and a half or C. That fulfills me. Those That kind of slowly processing somebody through and helping to get them to closer to E and being able to really accept that they may not end up at E. And to feel proud of the connection that we built in getting them from A to C, that that fills my soul. That that truly lifts me up. So if it doesn't do that for you, 
maybe that's just not your role because I think the world needs people like me, which I think is what you were speaking to. Like somebody needs to do that, but maybe that doesn't have to be all of us because I think the world also needs people who are like, hey, anything less than fully affirming is not acceptable to me. And I think those two kind of balance out. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So I, I do, I see what you're saying, and I think that I've sat in that space before, but I'm going to tell you something that, that it, this, is, this is good conversation because I think that it really depends on your approach then to those conversations because if I come out of the gate just writing somebody off for not being affirming. And there are times, believe me, when I've like sent a text to someone like, hey, what do you think if I reply to this tweet this way? Um, Like there was a pastor that was complaining that he got kicked out of his denomination for not being affirming. And it was like, um, there's so many pastors. I know, like (laughs) it it was like, oh, you're feeling excluded. I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) I I just wanted to be like, hey, like the day that he's tweeting this, like, have you ever thought about like, just being affirming, you know, like just things (laughs) like that, where I just want to like, kind of taunt them. And they're like, also like, let's, let's give him a second to process that he just like lost his job and and, and, like all these things. But I'm like, I, I, maybe I can give him like a second, but like, you know what I'm saying? If, if you come out of the gate and you're hating on people, here's, here's what has the potential to happen. On the flip side, I have a really, a, a, a somebody that I love dearly on Twitter that is, is documenting their trans journey. And, um, and they came into my DMs when they were not out, they were not, they were not affirming yet. So it was well oh. before they were transgender and well before they were affirming. And they sent me some of their um, blog posts on, on some spiritual abuse that they experienced. And I was like, I knew they weren't aff- affirming, but I had also seen in their writing, like, wow, you experienced some like really legit trauma and I am so sorry, you know, and like, wow. And they recently reached out to me because it's Pride Month and they're being very like, um, you know, putting all kinds of like beautiful Pride posts about their now transgender journey. And um, they were like, that moment that you 
with the platform that you have and the person that you are validated what I was going through helped me not only become affirming, but helped me affirm my own self and then helped me come out. And I'm like, wow, what if I had handled that so much differently? What if I had just written them off mm -hmm. and been like, F you, you're not affirming, you know? And so it's like, I also recognize like, yes, I think you're right, Sadie, like maybe some conversations are just not for me. But I also think the way that we navigate how we're not going to have those conversations is equally important to mm -hmm. the way that we navigate how we do have those conversations. I, I think we're so on the same page here, because honestly, sometimes F you, you're not affirming is a completely appropriate response. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that is the correct response but sometimes it's not. And I think, I think we can, I think we can talk about that. I think we can find ways to better navigate that. So we you know some, so when we get in those situations where the correct response is F you, we can fully enjoy it. <laughs> and all of the other conversations we can navigate and help people figure it out. The other thing that I was thinking about with regards to this is that um and this is just a personal observation is that often i find that christians may have a harder time thinking outside of binaries and becoming affirming in of of people who are not uh, uh who are not on a gender binary because much of their theology and much of their life is based around binaries you know are you saved are you unsaved mm -hmm. are you going to heaven are you going to hell are you baptized? Are you not baptized? Like it's, it's a thing that happens to you and that changes you to mm -hmm. something else. And you're either this or you're that. Do you take this role in the church or do you take this role in the church? You can be this thing. You can be this thing. You can be this thing specifically. I think that this is especially true with uh, evangelical Protestants. A lot of times can have a harder time because their entire conception of the life is this is who I am. This is what my role is because of who I am. And if you see somebody who is like, well, my existence is outside of your conception of what a person is, then that can be difficult for them to, 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 to sort yeah. of comprehend. And, and if you can't comprehend it, how can you really affirm it? Yep. And, and that's a thing I think that allies can do and queer people that have a lot of privilege can do is help people maybe we don't challenge the binary of are you affirming or not affirming and instead we challenge the idea that things are always binary and and digging into that with people i think that's something that i really try to do that's something that so much of my online work is related to to that point i think that it's all about like people not understanding something and being afraid of the thing that they don't understand too instead of like let me listen and understand your lived experience and your experience it's like hold on let me check with my pastor and see what the mm -hmm. rule is and and whether i'm supposed to like you or not <laughs> yes so i'm we have a, a pretty diverse audience and i would be willing to bet that we have some audience members who are thinking about all of these things and kind of maybe this is a funny way to put it, but considering becoming affirming. And I hope that way of phrasing it will make sense to you because that has been both of us at some point in our life. Like, I think I might be becoming an affirming Christian. And like, what does that mean? If you were speaking to our audience members who are in that space, what advice would you give them or 
or how can can you give us your thoughts on how they can navigate that process with the most kindness and compassion possible? It's so interesting because I think just that phrase, considering becoming affirming, is is loaded, right? Because that's when, a funny phrase, but like I've been there, so I know it's real. Yeah, but but when I hear that, I think like considering like loving and validating someone's existence or not, you know, and so and so I think if, if folks are are thinking through that and and that's kind of how they're approaching it, because for me, I feel like I thought that I loved queer people and that was my desire, but I, I realized as an evangelical that I did not love them well and that I had to unpack why and I had to unpack how to love love folks well. And this was before I knew I was queer, right? And so when when it was because I sat in evangelical spaces for decades before I ever heard that that three point sermon series, you know, and so once I realized like this is how the church thinks that they're loving queer folks, this is what it means to say love the sinner, hate the sin. Hell no! Like I was like immediately like what what um, needs to happen that I can figure out how to love people, really love people, not this love. And so I think that when you say when you say you love queer people and and you're not affirming in in the sense of and i think if people don't understand that language it means like you think that what their life is a sin or their existence is a sin or who they are is a sin i think you need to think about what that looks like because it, it looks like i i think somebody on twitter phrased it as like um hate with a love mask on you know <laughs> because you're <laughs> like you you really are they're not in a safe space if if the people that they're with think that who they are is an abomination. And and so um, if you're if you're on that journey and you're processing, I would say do that with your straight friends. Um, do that mm -hmm. in spaces where you're not going to expose your queer friends to that unless you have queer friends that have signed up for that. Like you said, Sadie, like you're like, like me. I, will, yes, exactly. I will do that work. I will sit with someone. I don't feel, you know, like. Uh, activated or triggered by those conversations, then go do that, you know, but like, if if they're just trying to like, call up their queer friends and say, like, help me with it, help me process <laughs> this. Um, I've had I've had that with people who um, think women shouldn't preach and people trying to process process that with me and get really offended that I don't see their side of things. And I'm like, you're choosing your theology over women. So I, I can't like, and I'm a woman, so I can't we're, like, you don't recognize the power dynamic here and, and the privilege dynamic. And so if, if people aren't able to recognize those power and privilege dynamics, then that's like deconstruct that first, man, you know? And so like, there's, I think that's pretty loaded, but I think that's, that's kind of the advice that I would give is like, do your process without, without harming queer folks in the process, if that makes sense. Yes. I love that. And I pulled, I grabbed a quote, actually wrote this down while you were speaking. What needs to happen so that I can love queer people, really love them? Yeah. That's, that's it. It's what do I need to work through to get as close to perfect love as I can? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I love, I love that. That's exactly, you said that better than I could, which is what I was hoping for asking you that question. <laughs> well, I think that's a great note to wrap up our interview on. So we will have some book recommendations, resource recommendations from Megan uh, 
in the show notes for our podcast on our Instagram post. We'll blast those out in all the places that we send things out. Um, Megan, what are your social media accounts? Where can people follow you to hear more from you? Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm at The Pursuing Life on Twitter mostly, um, sometimes Instagram, rarely Facebook. And then I'm the co-host of the Thereafter podcast. And so that's on all the socials as well. And I I have that in my bio. So yeah. I've really enjoyed Thereafter. You have, this is more of your style of conversation than what we normally do here. And so I wanted to bring that to our audience because I've been enjoying your show so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Megan, for joining us and for having this really deep conversation. I was just so hoping that this was the kind of conversation we would have. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been fun. So I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Megan as much as I enjoyed being in the studio. I have one additional pride story to read you before we wrap up. And I picked this one because it's got a lot of similarities to Megan's story. This is from Shannon. Uh, She says, Hey, GNS, my name is Shannon, she, her pronouns, and I live in Oklahoma. I grew up Southern Baptist with a lot of IFB family, so I felt very comfortable and familiar with Sadie's stories about growing up. And I experienced many similar things. I attended Cedarville University and graduated with a degree that included a mandatory Bible minor. Christianity was always such a huge part of my personality and dictated all my decisions and almost every aspect of my daily life. Even though I had a few experiences playing house with other girls growing up where I always played the man, I never allowed myself to engage with that part of me. I knew I secretly was interested in how beautiful some women were, but I just thought everyone appreciated the beauty in everyone else. I've been with my husband, who has always been a huge supporter of me in every way, for 12 years, and he's made many comments about how he knows I like women when I have a few drinks. I always get more comfortable enough to talk about it, but then can't face it in the light of day. Fast forward to finding your podcast a few months ago. I devoured the first 30 episodes and have kept listening at a rapid pace. I listened and slowly those walls started getting cracks. Is the Bible inerrant? Is my view of morality just black and white? Where do LGBTQ plus people fit into God's plan? You've helped me look at those questions and it slowly deconstructed what I always thought I knew. This past week was the first time I said it out loud. I told a friend that I think I'm bisexual. I cried afterwards. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations on figuring out something about yourself. I never thought those words would come out of my mouth. My husband is very encouraging of me to explore this side of myself, and he's so happy I'm finally trying to embrace who I am. It sounds cliche, but I really owe it to this podcast. You've helped me break down the walls and finally see and most importantly accept myself for who I've always been, but never thought I was allowed to be. I could do this. I'm taking my kids to our OKC Pride Month Parade this year. They will grow up knowing it's okay to be whoever they are. Thank you, Shannon. Hell yeah. Oh my God. That was great. And also... I was under no illusion that I could read that entire thing without crying. <laughs> man, that, that thank you so much for writing that in. Also, big thumbs up to Shannon's husband for... Yeah. Um, for you He's know, got bi-wife being... energy. By wife energy, I I dig it. It's uh, it's 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 a positive attribute, and uh, it's it's good to uh, surround yourself with people who accept you and love you for who you are, not mm-hmm. in spite of who you are, or not 
you know, or, or don't see aspects of your personality as drawbacks yeah. um, and, and aspects of your identity. There are just, there are a lot. We talk so much about the ways to integrate faith and queerness or faith and homophobia that we think are bad. But there are lots of ways to integrate faith and queerness that are good. And it sounds like Shannon is on that journey. And what a lot of what I want to do is show people options. Like, here's here are questions to ask yourself. Here are ways to think about this that might help you come to your own conclusions that are hopefully kind and loving. And that starts with accepting and being kind to and loving yourself. I'm really feeling uh, a, a positive about acceptance right now um, because just like a, on the day we're recording this, like a few hours ago, I finished editing our interview with Pastor Noah and that just like, ugh, so good. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys uh, so much for listening and thank you, Shannon, for writing in and thank you everybody who's been writing us stories. We're going to deliver a few more uh, next week when we have our Leaving Eden Drag Brunch with Dinah Housefire. Um, make sure you check out the rest of our Pride content. Uh, we had an episode a couple weeks ago about the Westboro Baptist Church. A week ago, we had an episode with Pastor Noah Hepler from uh, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church of the Atonement. Um, in uh, he is an openly gay pastor. He was featured on an episode of Queer Eye, uh, and we talked about affirming theology, and we talked about being on reality TV, which was a lot of fun. Um, and make sure that you guys check out our Shiny Happy People documentary review with Lindsay Williams and Chad Harris, who were nice enough to come on the show with us. You uh, know Lindsay Williams from uh, uh, Cult Chronicles. She's got an Instagram and a TikTok um, accounts that are both pretty popular. And you know Chad Harris. He's popular on TikTok. You may know him as Arch Radish. They were both featured in the documentary. So you make sure that you want to tune in for those because we had a great time and a great discussion about those. Um, if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, make sure that you follow us on social media on uh, TikTok and Facebook and uh, Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. Make sure that you join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus and our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Um, Sadie, do you want to plug your socials? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And the only social media I'm really using these days is Instagram, which is at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. But old rolling river of time Healed me in too many days No regrets, no regrets